0: Well, I guess I just wanted to start off by saying actually just what Andy mentioned earlier just about all of the the terrorist attacks that that have been going on recently. And I think that that kind of brings me perfectly on to what I want to kind of bring up today is the, the passage that I'm looking at. I think it just doesn't really make sense. It doesn't sit well with us. And I would say, why does life seem so unjust? Why... In a global sense, do we uh, today here, we, we've got food and water, and you know, we're quite privileged here, but actually in other pl- countries, there are millions and millions of people who, who don't have even access to that. And I would say, how do our, how do our attitudes towards ju- this justice and this fairness um, shape our attitude towards our work and our service? Not just at church, but also in our workplaces, at our schools, wherever we are. Recently, there was the, the general election, and it seems like society has become increasingly uh, kind of unsure of what, you know, what, what's fair and what isn't. You know, isn't. We've got a hung parliament, or we, we did have, um, and at the moment, it seems like people are kind of split two ways as to what they actually agree with and what they, what they don't. Um, everyone's kind of fighting for what they believe to be the best, the fairest, um, the, yeah, the, the most just policies. Um, one thing especially that, that I noticed is uh, kind of debates about the minimum wage and how some people, I guess lots of us, would say that actually like, the more experience you've got or the better equipped you are, the, the, you, know, you should probably get paid more for that. Um, whereas actually you know, other people might say, look, everyone should just get, get paid a, you know, a, a standard minimum wage. And I think this is some, something that, that lots of people kind of uh, don't, yeah, don't agree on. So how do you view your work? I think there's a there's a great story. Christopher Wren, probably one of the arguably one of the greatest uh, architects in all of history. He was uh, commissioned to build or design at least uh, St Paul's Cathedral in the 17th century. He employed a load of bricklayers, um, and one day when he was um, just observing three bricklayers, one of them was kind of crouched down, just you know doing his brick things, and then I don't know I don't know what bricklayers do. They just lay bricks, don't they? Um, <laughs> and then you, you, had, you had someone else who was kind of half standing up, but neither of them were seeming too happy about anything. And there was one guy who was just going for it. You know, He was going re- uh, working really hard, and working really fast, and he had a massive smile on his face. So, when uh, Christopher Wren, when he asked him, uh, you know, what, why, what are you doing? The first, the first man who was crouching down, he didn't even look at him, and he just said, oh, I'm just, just earning, earning money, you know, um, just getting by middle guy, he was kind of half, half kneeling, he said, well, can't you see I'm building a wall? Yeah, but, but it was the last guy with the gleaming, gleaming smile on his face and he was just so happy. He turned around and just said, I am building a cathedral for the Almighty. And I think in some ways that, that, that reflects um, part of how we view our, our work and our service. You know, how, how do we uh, view our work in terms of you know, in view of God's big picture. I think in many ways, our attitudes towards both serving in church uh, and our work or schools shape the impact of our service and our motivations behind it. It's easy to get bogged down thinking ourselves as amazing servers or maybe resentful of others for getting the the credit that, that we deserve. But that's not how Jesus teaches. And I think that's why I'd like I saw, um, to have a look in the Bible at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, and see what Jesus wants to say to us from this parable today. I don't, I don't think I prepped anyone on the passage, so I don't know if it's going to come up or not. But um, if you do have Bibles, then you're welcome to, to read, it, read it with me. So, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Why have you been standing here all day long, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So then those who came were hired first, they experienced, expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to crum- grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So at the start of the story, in verses 1 to 7, we're introduced to this landowner, wanting to hire workers for his vineyard. The workers at the start of the day are hired for a denarius, which is about a, about a day's wages. Then throughout the rest of the day, every few hours, the landowner would again hire more and more people who were just hanging around, who hadn't got anything else to do. And he would pay them, in verse 4, whatever is right, which is slightly different, I guess, potentially. He doesn't actually say what is, you know, whether it's going to be a denarius or not. He just says whatever is right. And they went without question. Even at five in the afternoon, when a lot of the working day was already behind them, he continued to hire those who didn't have a job. Everyone agreed to work for the landowner on the terms given to them. To some, they were promised a fixed amount, like the denaris, and to others, it would be up to the landowner. But they all went to work for him without second thought and further question. At this point, you can probably see already what might be going on as time progresses. The Lord here is depicted as a landowner. He's constantly going out looking for more and more people to come and work in his vineyard, serving in the kingdom of God based on the promise of fair wage, regardless of yet what it may be. So, in verses 8 to 12 next, things start getting a little bit more interesting if if you're not already completely amazed already. First, the workers hired last, came to the owner, and they were given one denarius. And then those hired at three in the afternoon, and so on, until we got to those who were hired early in the morning, probably even around 6 a.m. I can't even wake up that early as a student. Um, I can imagine how they felt at the time, seeing everyone before them getting paid the same amount, regardless of how much they had been working. And then, them, having worked all day, still only get one denarius, despite the fact that it's still a day's wages, and that's what they agreed to in the first place. To us, even today, this seems completely countercultural. Everyone getting paid the same great salary regardless of when they started work and how long they worked for. Here, we see that the landowner isn't emphasizing reward through merit, and no one was underpaid, but everyone received outrageous generosity. God's economy of grace is not the same as the natural order most people would expect. This will undoubtedly cause us to feel jealous, or even a sense of unfairness. But the landowner goes on in the last verses, 13 to 16, to explain that he was the one who had the right to decide to pay everyone the same amount, regardless of how much they had done, or how much, or when they started following him even. A few days ago, I finished my degree. I'm happy to say, you know, I finally got there, somehow. Um, and so, yeah, this last week has been pretty crazy. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, one of the uh, kind of outreach uh, events that I was involved in each week uh, with the Christian Union was uh, an event called Text to Toasty. Um, I think I might have mentioned it once or twice before, but basically um, every Wednesday any, any student in Southampton would get the opportunity to text, text into us um, a question about Christianity and their location and their preferred toasty flavor. And then we basically go out and where um, we would deliver the toasty to them and just chat with them about any... any. But then actually we get, end up getting so, some incredible conversations with them. And I absolutely love every single time I go out on a text. It's great. It's such a great opportunity to sh- share the, go- the gospel with so many non-Christians. It's amazing. I think one of the things, though, that I did find, um, when I was leading especially, is that actually sometimes it felt like I was kind of doing all the work. Like I was doing everything, and the rest of the CU, like the other 80% of the Christian Union, even though it's a massive Christian Union, Regardless, they they wouldn't be doing any other work, or maybe even you know I didn't get the kind of credit that I felt I seemingly deserved, you know, Um, just because I was doing all the work, you know, and no one no one was expecting to you know no one no one noticed at all, but yeah, I think that was wrong, but anyway. Um, whenever we are in a position, a position of serving, I think it's easy for us to go, uh, go along with the wrong heart and the wrong attitudes towards work, that we're doing it and why we're doing it, a bit like I was doing it earlier. So in the first part of the story, we learn that the landowner, God, calls each of us to work for him in his kingdom. After the parable, in the wedding banquet, a couple of chapters later, it, actually, it says a similar thing at the end of the, at the, end of the passage. Many are invited... But few are chosen. Here we are all invited into God's service, but few of us actually hear the call to serve Him in His kingdom. In Matthew 11:15, it says, "He who has ears, let them hear." He calls us at any age, whoever we are, regardless of gender or status, not just for those who are um, kind of His close disciples or those who work in church, but all of us to service. Next, in the following few verses uh, where they're getting paid, I'm reminded of this countercultural fair pay scale of the kingdom of God, almost like an upside-down kingdom, where we aren't paid on a scale of merit or how much we have done, but out of the grace of God. We don't work for the reward, but we work out of love um, and a heart of love for him, not his gifts or his rewards. Imagine if today's society lived by that same kind of system. I think it would just be absolutely incredible. Finally, we get the explanation at the end. To those who were grumbling, not about being rewarded more than the rest, he said this, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. God is a just God. And he knows exactly what we deserve, both the good and the bad. If we are getting caught up in what others are getting or even not getting, or even what we're not getting, then our hearts aren't in the right place. If we're jealous for others, for what they receive, then our hearts, again, aren't in the right place. This story was prompted by the disciples, who claimed to have left everything to follow Jesus. And yet somehow they kind of expected some sort of reward in return. But actually I think the message goes much deeper than that. The landowner goes on to say, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, I I got the opportunity to study Greek this year as well, and um, the the translation of the Greek phrase here literally means, Is your your evil eye because I am good? An evil eye here, or or phalmos, suggests a deeper problem than meets the eye. Where earlier on, in Matthew 6:22 to 23, Jesus taught that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, then your, body, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, again, ophthalmos paneros, so if you have an evil eye, your whole body will be full of darkness. In this account, the idea of having an even eye, evil eye was completely uh, the opposite of generosity. And again, here we see that Jesus' teaching is important of having the right heart in your acts of service. Not that of generosity for others. Wanting more credit or a greater reward, but of love and thanksgiving for God. I think one incredible verse that talks about this um, and kind of summarizes is Colossians 3.23-24. I'm sure many of you might know it already. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So finally, in response, firstly, are we responding to the call? The call to service in God's upside-down kingdom. In Matthew 9:37, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Referring to those who needed to respond to the call of his service and bring more to their number. A lot of service nowadays just involves turning up. And I've, I've noticed that a lot in the CU actually. Lots of people, you know, it's better than turning up than not at all. Secondly, do we accept this call to service on our terms or God's terms, regardless of the promise for a reward that we may deserve? God's economy of grace is not the same as the natural order most people expect and we are his servants ready to accept his call of service regardless of any reward. Finally, if we are serving, is our heart in the right place? In our service looking not to do better than our colleagues out of jealousy? As Christians, we need to examine our hearts and know we have already been saved which is more of a gift than we could ever ask for. Our service is more of something that is uh, out of love and thanksgiving towards the one who made us. There is no limit to this outrageous generosity, and we should be living by that example, not by jealousy. So, if you take away three questions from today, I would say, are we accepting God's call to service in this kingdom? Are we prepared to accept this call to service on his terms, not ours? And where are our hearts? when we're serving him. Thanks, I think Andy's going to pray now. All right. All right. good. Really good, really good, okay. In life groups, you're going to have questions as well off the back of that. They're going to be looking at Matthew 20. Challenging passage, wasn't it, really, to to, have to mm. grapple with, not an easy one. Absolutely fantastic, Ben. And you're going to be a preacher because you mentioned it at least four times. Uh, which is a good mark of a good future preacher. Finally, finally, finally. Just to keep us on our tender hooks of whether you were going to laugh.